0: Hello everyone, this is Pastor Nick Davies from Memorial Heights Baptist Church. We are so glad you are joining us midweek. Today's message, The Restraining Work of the Holy Spirit, Part 3, was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie during our Sunday evening service on July 26, 2020. We want to encourage you to join us in person at one or all of our services. Our doors are open Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, and Wednesday nights at 6.45. If you have not yet subscribed to our podcast, please do. And when you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this message would be an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. So grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it.
1: It's been said that the most important ability is availability. D.L. Moody famously said that the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Actually, Moody didn't come up with that saying. It was given to him by a man named uh, Henry, I think it's pronounced Varley. He was a a British revivalist. And he didn't even remember speaking that word to D.L. Moody. But Moody remembered. And as Moody was traveling across the ocean and that phrase that his friend the revivalist had spoken to him stuck with him and it stuck with him and it stuck with him and he said I want to be that man I want to be the man that is fully consecrated to the Lord to see what God could do through my life are we men and women like Isaiah who are willing to say here am I send me are we willing to say ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church, and uh, that's as good of a JFK impersonation as I can I can do. God has made us in His image, and part of that is not just our intrinsic value, but it's intrinsic responsibility and authority that He has given to us over His creation. And God chooses, by His own will, to work through His creation accomplish his will now God doesn't need us obviously but God chooses in his love and his grace to use us to work through us and so we have been looking at how the Holy Spirit is working at the in the world Uh, we've stepped back and we've looked uh, not just at how he's been working in the world from Pentecost but also how he has been working in the world from creation in many instances some of this is from Pentecost some of this is from the beginning of creation But much of what we have seen deals with how the Holy Spirit works through us, how He works through men and women who are surrendered to Him. Now, let's just very quickly go back over what we have seen. This is is an overview of uh, how God restrains evil. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians 2, and we'll unpack what uh, God says about uh, the restraining work, and I'll show you more in more detail, Lord willing, uh, why I'm convinced that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit Himself. Uh, We've talked about the convicting power of the Spirit, but certainly uh, the Holy Spirit has been at work from the beginning of time to restrain evil. And so, we sometimes, as we look around the world, and we see all the chaos that is increasing. And uh, as I think it was Dave that said this morning, yes, uh, we may have a temporary reprieve, and, and yes, things may get a little bit better for a short period of time, and we pray for that, but, we all, uh, but I've read the end of the book, and, and we know where things are headed, and, and the good news is that we win, but the bad news is for the world uh, that things are going to get a lot worse. And so uh, we need to understand our role in restraining evil, how God is working, and how God might use us to work. You know, we are uh, waiting now on some new equipment that we have invested in to uh, dramatically improve the quality of our live stream and our recordings. And uh, w- because of COVID and all the lockdowns, everybody's going online. So everybody's ordering cameras and everybody's ordering this technology. And so uh, we're on back order and we're, we're, a few, we're a few months away from being able to get all that installed, but it's coming and, it's, and the ball is rolling and we're working towards that. And God has given us some incredible resources here. This is a beautiful sanctuary. I mean, it it wowed me when the first time I came in, because the last time I had been in this church up until recently was 20-some years ago before this was ever built. And it's just amazing to see how God has blessed over the years and and all of the resources that God has given us that uh, He expects us to use for Him. But understand that resources by themselves aren't going to change the world. I love what E.M. Bounds said. Uh, I have a couple quotes I want to give to you tonight. Here's the first one. E.M. Bounds said, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. Now, God has asked us to ask. Matthew 7:7. ask and it shall be given to you. But our responsibility is more than just asking. He, he went on to say you have to also seek. Ask, yes, but then seek. And then keep seeking. Knock. If you want the door to open, if the door's shut, you want it to open, you're going to have to knock. You're going to have to knock. And if you know somebody's home, if you go to somebody's house, and you know they're home, and you need to talk to them, you keep knocking until the answer comes. And so our job is to ask, yes, but it's also to put hands and feet to our prayers and to seek and to keep knocking until God answers. And when we are surrendered to Him and when we are dependent on Him, He will work through us. It's His mercy that, that uh, causes Him to withhold final judgment that men may be saved, as we have seen over the last few weeks. And God chooses during that time of patience to actively work through us. So let's just quickly review the ways that God works. Again, many of these involve us and our willingness to be submissive to God. We talked, number one, about the family unit. God created the family in part as a restraint on evil to, as Malachi 2 tells us, God's speaking through the prophet to raise godly seed. We talked about individual conscience. The problem with the family unit and the problem with conscience are both that we're broken. Because of sin. And so family doesn't work as it should, and, and our conscience can be seared. Our conscience be, can be overly sensitized. Uh, we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we've talked about, the, a special way in which He is working in the world uh, since the day of Pentecost that Jesus said He, he wasn't working before. And, and yes, the Holy Spirit's been at work since creation. Genesis tells us that, Genesis 1. But since the day of Pentecost, Remember, Jesus said in John 16, it's better for you if I leave so that I will send the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to do something different. He's going to begin to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment in a way that he has not convicted before because Messiah had not come yet. Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died for our sins yet. He hadn't been uh, resurrected yet. The whole world changed when Jesus rose from the dead. The whole world changed again when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. But because the world is broken, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And as we said many times over the last few months, where there is no truth, there is no conviction. Our role in that is to spread the truth of God's Word. That's what the Holy He's the Spirit of truth. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to use to bring conviction. But that's broken, not because of the Holy Spirit. He's, he hasn't failed, but we have failed to spread the truth and to speak the truth that God might convict through us. Number four, we talked about... Human government. Again, the same problem. Sin has caused government to be broken. Uh, that's why we need to pray for our leaders to lead righteously. We need to pray that we have laws that protect our ability to live peaceably, to live evangelistically. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We talked last week about the prophets and the Word of God, how God used the prophets. While the Bible was being written, He used His prophets to Restrain evil, but again, the problem was sin, and what did Israel do to the prophets? They killed them eventually, and so uh, yes, God has restrained sin, but because of sin, uh, the word was resisted, and the word was rejected. Now, God has preserved his word, praise God, but um, it is still many times suppressed and rejected. We talked about Israel last week how God used the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to restrain the incredible wickedness of the Canaanites. And these were this was not just a clash of cultures, this wasn't just about uh, a land grab. These were incredibly wicked people who did incredibly wicked things and God used Israel to bring judgment. And God will again use Israel to bring judgment. Zechariah 12 Uh, says that Israel will once again be a cup of trembling and God will use Israel to bait the entire nations of the world that then will be under the sway of Antichrist and he will bring them to one place, not so that they can accomplish their goals, but so that he can accomplish his in judgment. We talked about the church. Uh, We've said many times over the last several months that Jesus promised to build his church And the church that Jesus is building is so powerful that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The problem is, again, sin, because of our sin, we don't obey the commands of the Savior. We don't walk by faith many times, and so we don't appropriate the power that's available to us. And that brings us to number eight, the divine empowerment that is available to each and every one of us who name Jesus Christ as our savior. We've trusted in Jesus Christ and his death for our sins in his resurrection. He is our sole confession. When I die and stand before the Lord and St. Peter asked me, St. Peter's not really going to be the one standing at the gate, but you know how the story goes, right? St. Peter's going to be standing at the gate. Why should we let you in? Well, I know what I'm going to say. My sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I have access to heaven because I've been made a child of God. And so that, it's my home. Hey, I'm home. Open the door. I'm coming in. That's, it's my home. So I have the Holy Spirit. I have the incredible victory that, that God has promised me, but how many times do I grieve the Spirit? How many times do I quench the Spirit? Again, sin keeps me from experiencing the divine empowerment that has been so graciously so richly provided to me. If I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sin will be restrained. But how many times do I choose to walk in the flesh? Then lastly, last week, we talked about the hedge of protection, the divine protection and the blessing that God has placed around those who fear and serve the Lord. The angel of the Lord encampeth around those who fear him and he delivers them. And we have this incredible protection. Who knows? I remember there's this old um, Amy Grant song. Uh, she's gone off the rails a little bit a couple times in her life. But she's, she's done some, some good music and, and created some good music. And, um, and God has used her. And there was a, a song that came, she came out with many years ago about uh, angels. And, and it said, uh, God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. And we've experienced some of that just in the last few weeks, which some things that have happened. And God protected us and uh, told you a few weeks ago about, We, were, you know, we were driving and j- had just come off the interstate. We were right there in front of the college, there by the hospital, and the brakes completely went out. No brakes. and uh, And... God was gracious to us. We didn't even, my wife was driving. She, she was able to get the, road, the, car off, the car off the road without any, even an accident and without any injuries, uh, thank the Lord. So this hedge of protection that God has placed around us, the devil is not able to get through. We see that uh, in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, that Satan is complaining about this hedge that God has placed around Job. And we're told in Matthew 16, in, the, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer. <laughs> the Lord didn't need to pray that prayer. He did, J- Jesus never needed to pray, uh, forgive me my trespasses, right? So that's not the prayer that Jesus needed to pray, but it's the prayer that he gave us to pray. And that prayer ends, in, in terms of the request portion of the prayer, it ends with us asking for deliverance from evil, the deliverance from the evil one. And that word deliver literally means, it, it literally pictures in the Greek, to be picked up and drawn towards. It, the idea is that when we ask God to deliver us, we're not just asking God to, to take us out of danger and put us over here. That's not the picture of the word. The, the Greek word literally means to be drawn up close to. It's the picture of a father drawing a child up. Like when my my son's about to do something that he doesn't realize is dangerous and I grab him and pull him away to keep keep him safe. That's the picture of of that Greek word that Jesus uses in that prayer that we are to pray that God will pull us up and away from evil and pull us to himself. The hedge of protection. But are we praying for that? Are we praying for that? And so... That brings us to the last three things that we're going to talk about in this uh, brief overview of how God restrains evil in the world today. And it brings us back to prayer. And it brings us back to being willing to be the hands and feet in Jesus in restraining evil. The tenth thing I want to talk to you tonight about is the role of the intercessor in restraining evil. The role of the intercessor. God is looking for believers who will, as Ezekiel says, stand in the gap. I want you to listen to what Ezekiel says. This is God speaking through the the book of Ezekiel, through the prophet Ezekiel. And God says this in Ezekiel chapter 22, "...the people of the land have used oppression." and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. You would think he was watching the nightly news. You would think that he, he, he was talking about what's going on in America today in the name of right, wickedness in the name of righteousness, violence against the poor in the name of providing for the poor, We're we're standing for the poor and minorities while we burn down their neighborhoods. They have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And here's what God says. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. We just talked about the hedge. Do you know that God wants you to be part of the hedge? God wants you to be part of the hedge in somebody else's life. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. No one who was willing to stand in the gap in that day. No one who was willing to be the one to stand up against evil, to stand up and speak the truth. He didn't find anyone. Therefore, verse 31 says, have I poured out mine indignation upon them? I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Here's what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Run, run the streets. Don't walk. Run. This is something that is an emergency situation. You need to run, and you need to find somebody. If you've, ever, if you've ever had a crisis, and you were trying to find somebody to help, this is the picture that God is giving us. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. I'm not praying that God will send judgment on America. I'm praying that God will delay his judgment on America. America needs judgment. America deserves judgment. America does not deserve God's blessing. We talked about pornography this morning. America, the number one exporter of pornography in the world. With all that America has done regarding abortion, America does not deserve God's mercy. But we should stand in the gap we should pray that we have more time to get the gospel out, that we have more time to see people get saved, that we have more time to do God's work. That's what we should be praying for, not just that we have an easy life, not just that it's, it, yes, we pray for peace, but as, as Peter says, we, we don't just pray for our personal peace. We, we want to be able to reach people. We want to be able to evangelize. We want to have the freedom of movement, not just so we can vacation where we want to, but so that we can witness where we want to. We need to be men like Abraham. Abraham, we won't take the time to go there, but many of you know the story, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18. God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom where your adopted son, your nephew, Lot, lives. I'm going to destroy the city. And God tells Abraham this, and Abraham begins to plead, God, if you, if you find this many, Will you spare the city? And God says, "Yeah, if I find this many." Well, wh- what about? And the number keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, God, in, in your mercy, if you find this many, and you know the, and you know how it ends. God couldn't even find a handful of righteous people in that city. Peter tells us, Second Peter chapter two, that it was Lot. Lot was the last man standing, and God did deliver Lot because he was righteous. You say, well, Lot didn't doesn't sound righteous. Well, God declared him righteous by his faith, the same way that we're declared righteous by faith. So we need to be men like Abraham, willing to intercede even for a wicked city, for the sake of the righteous in that city. Uh, listen, I have, I have joked about California becoming its own country. I have. Um, I've joked about other states becoming their own country, but listen, we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ in California, and we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ in New York. We need to be praying for them, especially in, in light of what they're facing right now in California with the um, restrictions being placed on churches that are not being placed on rioters. And it's very clear to anyone who is willing to see that there's an agenda that is at work, and the enemy is using this Um, crisis to attack the church and we need to pray and intercede for our brothers and sisters in places where they're being told you can't meet at all or you can't uh, sing and worship God and we need to pray. Moses. Moses was another great example of an intercessor. Listen to what Psalm 106 says, verse 23. It says, therefore he said, God said, that He would destroy them, the nation of Israel. So, therefore, He, God said, that He would destroy them, Israel, had not Moses, His chosen, stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath, lest He should destroy them. Why didn't God destroy Israel? Because His chosen, Moses, stood in the gap as a type of Christ, as a picture of Christ, saying, God, don't do this. Please remember your your name. Remember your holy name. Remember your promises. Don't do this. God says, I can fulfill my promises through you. You're a seed of Abraham. But God, what will the the nations say? What will the nations think? And Psalm says he would have destroyed them. Psalm 106, verse 23. Had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach. God used Moses as an intercessor. God wants to use you as an intercessor. Who does God want you to intercede for? Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. In fact, uh, let me read these verses to you. 1 Samuel uh, 12, verses 19 through 24. This is when Israel decided that they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world and have a king. And God warned them what was going to happen. God wanted to give them a king. By the way, that was part of the law of Moses. God was going to give them a king. But they wanted it on their terms in their way. They didn't want to wait for God's plan. They wanted it in their timetable. So here's what God said through the prophet. Well, God warned the people, and then all the people said unto Samuel, verse 19, all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He just told them how wicked they are, but God forbid, Samuel says, I should cease to pray for you despite how wicked you are, despite how sinful you are, God forbid I should sin in not praying for you. God forbid that we should sin in not praying for our leaders, even the ones we don't like. God forbid that we should sin in not praying for our nation and not praying for our church and not praying for our community. Some of us, th- we need to repent of this. We need to repent of our lack of prayer. There is no power where there is no prayer. Amen. So we need to pray. We need to be intercessors. This is, if we want to see our community change, we do it on our knees. Amen. Not kneeling before men, kneeling before God. Fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, Samuel said. Consider how great things he had done for you. But if you shall still do wickedly, Ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So here's what Samuel did. He prayed and he spoke the truth to them. He prayed and he spoke the truth. He prayed and he spoke the truth. We need to be intercessors like Samuel. We need to be intercessors like Elijah, who prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain. Now, why did he pray it wouldn't rain? Because God told him to. He prayed for what God told him to pray. He was obedient to God. And God used him to stand against the prophets of Baal in intercession as an intercessor before the people. So let me give you three ways that we need to intercede. Number one, as we've been saying, intercede in prayer. Intercede in prayer. Intercede in prayer for your family. Intercede in prayer for your church. Intercede in prayer for your community, for your country. 1 Timothy 2 says this, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I just a few minutes ago uh, was saying I was quoting Peter, I was actually referring referring to these verses that Paul said, we need to pray for those in authority, that we lead peaceful lives and also that we can get the gospel out so that we can see people get saved. I love what Sidlow Baxter said, the uh, late um, British preacher who was born in Australia, pastored in England, I believe in Scotland. I'm not going to try to imitate him with the Scottish brogue, but he said this. I want you to hear what he says. Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. They cannot stop our prayers. They can, turn, they can tune me out. They can turn me off. They can flip, flip, flip the channel. They say, I don't want to listen to that Bible stuff, but they can't stop our prayers. I, I know this. I know this with all my heart that I'm here tonight because of prayer. Because there were times in my life when I was wandering away from the Lord and people interceded for me. And I had people telling me, I had people tell me, we're praying for you. And I thought, man, you don't know how much I need prayer right now. But they were praying for me. And God spoke through them to me that, hey, they're praying for you. We need to pray for one another. Intercede in prayer. Now, I want you to realize, though, what that means or what that might mean for you, depending on your situation. We talked about Moses a few minutes ago. Understand how Moses prayed. I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I want you to see what it meant to Moses to intercede for Israel. This was not a bedtime prayer. This was not a morning prayer. This was certainly not a before-you-eat-your-lunch prayer. Hear, O Israel, verse 1 of Deuteronomy 9. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day to go and to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, who thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard, say, who can stand before the children of Anak? These are the giants of the Old Testament. Og was somewhere around 16 feet tall. Some say 18, depending on how you measure the cubits, depending on what cubit you use. Goliath, 9 foot 6 inches. He was a descendant of the giants. He wasn't even a full-blooded giant. We'll talk about the giants more in detail at some other point. But understand this was a, a, an impossible human task that God was calling them to do. Understand, therefore, this day, verse 3, that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire, He shall destroy them. He shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said unto thee. Speak not thou in thine heart. After that, the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, "For my righteousness, the Lord hath brought me into possess this land." In other words, don't think that God's doing this because you're such a good person. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee, not for thy righteousness. Or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye came into this place. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and the the whole law, which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, The Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them, and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount. The mount was burned with fire. The two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands, and I looked. And behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. He had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables, cast them out of my two hands, and break them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sin which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. He goes on through the rest of this chapter and he says that he did it again, just like I did before. Forty days and forty nights of fasting. Now, this was a supernatural fast because he didn't even drink water. Okay? I'm not recommending that you go without water. I'm not even telling you you have to do a forty-day fast. The longest I've ever done, gone as a fast, I think, is thirty hours. Right. But are you willing to fast? Are you willing to pray that long? Are you willing to pray that hard? To intercede for the loved one? To intercede for the friend? To intercede for the church when, we're in a, when we go through a crisis? To intercede for our community in crisis? Are you willing to pray like Moses? That's what God's looking for. He's looking for intercessors. He's not looking for uh, uh, Hallmark card prayers. He's looking for men and women who are committed to doing the hard work of prayer, to intercede on behalf of those who are in sin, that God might bring conviction, that the Holy Spirit might burn like fire in their heart, and the Word would burn like fire. Is not my word like a hammer, God says? Is not my word like a fire, God said through Jeremiah? But we need to pray. So, how fervently, how often are you willing to intercede for others? James chapter 5 again talks about Elijah and how he prayed for three years. Now, he didn't fast for three years, okay? But he prayed for three years. And it cost him something. It cost him where he lived. It cost him what he ate. It cost him uh, how much he had and how much he enjoyed. But he did the work that God had called him to do. But James says he's a man just like us. You can do it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you if if you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You you can pray that way. You can pray that fervently. Are you willing to do it, though? Are you willing to pray that, that fervently for that person, for that need, that situation that you're going through? Intercede in prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But we've got to be righteous, and we've got to be fervent when we pray. Intercede in prayer. Number Two, under intercessors, intercede with truth. Samuel spoke God's truth. Moses spoke God's truth. We need to speak truth to our culture and against our culture. I love uh, this verse in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Contend with them. Are you willing to contend with the wicked? Are you willing to speak the truth? Are you willing to risk it? They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Again, as if he were writing in July of 2020 in the United States of America. You see the praise of the wicked all over the place. But such as keep the law, contend with them. We contend with the truth. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I've heard pastors abuse that verse. And, well, you've got to have a vision. You've got to have a vision. No, that's not the vision he's talking about. He's talking about the vision from God. He's talking about the law of God. He's talking about God's word. That's the vision. We see it in the context of the verse. Happy is he that keepeth the law. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Listen, America cannot stay In neutral. It can't. It can either repent and turn back to God or it can slide further and further down the hill. But it can't stay where it's at. It cannot. You can't stay where you're at. You're either going to draw closer to the Lord and pursue Him or you're going to backslide. But you're, we're all standing on the hill and you can't stay where you're at. So you've got to make a choice. Am I going to get closer or am I going to go farther away? But if you make no choice, you've already chosen. You're going to go farther away. And what we're seeing is what happens in an America where God's truth is not being proclaimed like it was. Where God's truth is not being stood for like it used to be. We've we've softened it. We've peddled it. We've uh, Americanized it. Have it your way. You can have the gospel your way. God wants to make you rich. God wants to make you happy. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Because we have not spoken truth to our culture, because we have not interceded with truth and taken a stand and contended with lies and contended with the evil, the evil is prospering. So we need to decide we're going to intercede. We're going to be men and women of truth. We're going to do what Ephesians commands us to do, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them and just speak the truth about what we're seeing. Speak God's truth. Speak God's word. Not our opinion, but God's word. And understand, the greater your sphere of influence, the greater your responsibility. And Nehemiah is a great picture of that. Nehemiah is a great picture of that. Nehemiah, uh, as he grew in his responsibility over the nation of Israel, uh, he, he had a greater responsibility to clean things up, clean the things that were going on, the compromises. And so the more your, your sphere of influence, the greater your sphere of influence, the more you need to speak truth. Now, when we speak truth in love, Ephesians 4, we speak truth in love. We're not harsh about it. We're not judgmental about it. We're not condemning in the sense of condemning the person. We condemn the act. We offer grace and, and the promise of repentance and forgiveness to the, to the sinner, but we have to speak out against the sin. And so we intercede in prayer. We intercede with truth, and then we intercede until the end. And say, what's the end? Well, the end is when God decides that intercession time is over. And there, that time is coming. Listen to what uh, Jeremiah 15.1 says. Then the Lord uh, said the Lord unto me. This is what God said to Jeremiah. Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people. Cast them out of my sight. Let them go forth. See, God will listen to the intercessor for a time. God will listen to the intercession for a time. But there is a judgment coming, and and. Time is running out on America. Time is running out on our community. We need to do our work now, intercede now. But there is a day coming when intercession will be over. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. God says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Verse 20, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall, de- shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. We need to be men and women who intercede. When is it over? It's when God says it's over. Not when you're tired. When God says it's over, that's when it's over. But until then, while that person has breath in their body, you pray, you intercede. Until that situation is completely out of your, out, out of your reach, you pray and you intercede until God says it's the end, so intercede in prayer, intercede with truth, intercede until the end. Let me give you the last two very quickly, the last two very quickly we'll We'll come back and touch on the the very last one here in um, uh, in a week. But the eleventh thing I want to show you that, the way that God uses um, the eleventh thing that God uses to restrain evil is angelic intervention, angelic intervention. This deserves a, a series all of itself, so I'm just going to touch on this very quickly, but God will deploy angels sometimes to carry out judgments to restrain evil. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? But as Thomas Watson commented, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer fetched the angel. So God still is, is waiting for us to pray many times, is using our prayers even in terms of sending his angels. And, and the activity of angels is itself limited because this is... Um, enemy territory. And when angels enter into this realm, they have to do war. They have to go to battle. We see that in the book of Daniel. We see Daniel chapter 10 when the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece do battle with the angels sent uh, from God. And and Michael comes to help the the angel, the messenger sent to Daniel. We see it in uh, Jude 9 when we see that uh, Michael had to contend with the devil over the body of Moses, a, a really fascinating little story that God doesn't give us any context to. And that's one of those we are like, God, where's the, where's the rest of that story? We want to read that story. But understand that e- even when we talk about angelic intervention, the, we're talking about warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare that happens in this plane, in this realm. And so sometimes the, the last thing that I want you to see is that sometimes God will directly intervene, direct intervention this is when God personally steps into history to deliver the righteous from judgment and to pour out judgment on the wicked now we're going to go farther into this Lord willing next week as we jump into the specific restraining work of the Holy Spirit but these are the 12 ways that God acts most of the time God chooses to act through us are you willing to be used Are you willing to be the hands and feet? Are you willing to stand in the gap? To stand in the breach? Are you willing to do the the hard work of prayer? The dangerous work of speaking the truth? That's what God's called us to do. If We want to see evil turn back. God's saying, you are the light. My light's in you. I'm the light of the world, but you are the light I've left behind. You are the salt. You are the light. Let's be salt and light. Father, we thank you for the uh, opportunity to be part of your ministry. God, it's a scary thought that you want us to stand in the breach. You want us to stand in the gap. You want us to stand for truth when it is dangerous to stand for truth. But, God, you've given us your spirit. You've given us your power. You've given us your promises. And, God, may we be men and women who are willing to be intercessors, to do the hard work of prayer for our families, our church, our community, for our country, so that you may be glorified and souls May be changed. We love you and we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: What another great message from Pastor DJ. I hope this has found you well and made an impact on your life in the name of Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724 5876. We would love nothing more than to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.